Good morning, Liberty Lake Church. Won't you join us with the rousing song of Angels We Have Heard on High as we praise our Lord and Savior. join us uh, in our next song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel.
Shall come to thee, O 
did come and now he's here and uh, I want to share with you guys a spoken word uh, by Thomas Jerry Um, it's called the incarnation as we go into our next song at the cross what good is the Christmas story if it's void of God and his glory what's the worth of the words peace on earth if it's not rooted in the truth of Christ's birth what benefit is it for us to discuss the joy of the season unless we fix our hearts and minds on the principal reason that Christ has atoned for us. See, Christmas is more than just a story of a baby born in a manger, more than a poor fiancé engaged to a humble virgin teenager, more than a magi, more than gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's more than a narrative of a nativity scene. It's so much more than occurred. It's the coming of the Messiah, the fulfillment of all Old Testament promises, the prophecy of the suffering servant and all of his accomplishments the second person of the Trinity, commissioned to abandon his position and literally set aside the independent exercise of his attributes in full submission. The word manifested in the flesh, the fullness of God expressed, the self-emptying Jesus poured out at the Father's request, the image of the invisible God, the radiance of the Father's fame, holy but retained his humanness to empathize with our pain. He was unjustly crushed, Chastened, cursed, and shamed, mocked and adorned with a crown of thorns, disgraced, but he still faced the grave. To fulfill the Father's will, to come and die in the place of sinful men, and receive the full glory of God's judgment upon himself instead. The most monumental mark for mankind made in human history. Wretched sinners being made righteous only by the wounds of the risen king. The the condescending of a holy God made in the likeness of men. A child born to be the Savior that would save the world from our sins. The offspring of the virgin's womb, the Christ, God's own son, fully God yet fully man, the only begotten one. This is what we celebrate. Christ, the newborn king, veiled in flesh, the Godhead, see, hail, incarnate deity. There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and wide. Where all the 
that you've done for revealing yourself in this time and revealing us with the coming season that whether we have snow, whether we don't have snow, whether we're together or we're apart, whether we're healthy or we're sick, whether we're poor or rich, you are our God. And you came for each and every single person in this room and outside this room. And uh, you called us by name and you know exactly who we are. And you still went to the cross, and we love you for it, and we thank you. Bless uh, Shane in his words today, that uh, they would not be his words, but they'd be your words. They'd be yours from your word and by your spirit. And by your spirit, may you bring us together in unity to learn and to come to know through your son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. I think I'm there. Any kids for nursery, you can head down now. I'll get out of your way. You can come. Got to uh, relish being a grandfather this morning. I got a picture sent. Actually, I was com- uh, <clears throat> celebrating with our. How are are we in laws now? Somehow, other the, uh, our grandparents. We are g- gathered together celebrating uh, a picture of our grandson today. An adorable smile on his mom. It was wonderful. And and as I'm 
looking at that, I'm, I'm thinking about the illustration that I'm going to share with you, and then I start praying for my son and daughter-in-law because of the heritage that they are bringing into uh, a boy's life. Um, <clears throat> so as we're, uh, as we're in the text this morning, you're, you can turn in your Bible to, to Mark. Uh, we'll be in Mark chapter 14, but I want to share with you kind of a story of uh, something I did as a kid. Actually, I wasn't a kid. I was a, I was a young adult at the time. Um, but it's amazing at, at times, isn't it, you guys, how, how we, in our heads, we come up with these plans. Like we, we get ideas of things that we're going to do. And, and oftentimes, at least for my, my brother and I as young men uh, at the ages of 16 and 17, a lot of it involved making sure our parents are trying to help our parents not to find out what we were doing. And in this one particular episode, we had borrowed... Um, I was back from Bible school, and I was using uh, one of their cars, a 1979 uh, Subaru station wagon. If you're familiar with those, they're the, they're the older model. Uh, they had a high and low four-wheel drive. They had no clearance, but they had really great skid plates. Um, and so you could go, you could forge rivers with those things if you had enough speed and the guts to just punch it and go. Um, and so this one particular event, my brother and I were up in Longview, and they have a, there was a space out there that was kind of a big sand dune, and there was this wall of sand that was about 50 feet tall, and you'd go out and you'd run your rigs up there, and all these guys were running motorcycles and four-wheelers and uh, big, tired cars and trucks, four-wheel drives up there, and, and uh, I was 18, And uh, had a very, very high opinion of my Subaru that I borrowed from my mom and dad. And I made it to the top of that 50-foot bowl, which was spectacular. Um, and so I get back down, and all the guys that were there that were drinking and celebrating the whole thing were just like, well, you got to do that again. And so I did. Um, and I made it again. But the problem was is that my dad was very, very fond of his cars. And still to this day, Dad, if you're watching, why did you check inside the frame of that vehicle? So we knew that we were supposed to clean the cars after, you know, if we borrowed Dad's car. So we took it to a car wash, and we washed the whole thing down. I mean, we were spraying underneath and everything. And at one point, a day or two later, my dad comes in, and he goes, where did you take the Subaru? And I'm like, what? He's like, where did you take the Subaru? Uh, we were up, well, we went up... I found sand inside the frame of the Subaru. Who finds sand inside the frame of a Subaru? He, I don't know what he was looking for, but he was inside some... It was a set... Anyway, whatever it was, I got caught. My plans had failed, and that was not the first time. Fortunately, it was close to the last time because I moved out shortly after that, and they sold me the Subaru, so I didn't have to explain what happened to him after that. Isn't it interesting, though, how often in our attempts to make plans or our attempts to accomplish stuff, especially if we're trying to hide it from other people, how, how often that stuff gets exposed? I, I think it's interesting in our text this morning, we're actually going to watch the, the Pharisees, the chief priests, and not all of them. I, I want to make sure that we understand this. Not all of the Pharisees and, chief, and, and those that were in charge at that time were actually against Jesus. There were some that actually believed what he was saying. In fact, we know that from the story of Nicodemus, who uh, also came at night trying to hide his uh, uh, affiliation with Jesus. But we see this picture where the chief priests 
all the chief priests and elders and, and, and the scribes came together. And, and we're actually going to read the text, but it's where they are going to try Jesus. And they're going to attempt to cover it up. So jump into the text with me in Mark chapter 14, and we will begin. Mark chapter 14, verse 53. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about their testimony, uh, they did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus answered, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. It's kind of hard to actually watch the story unfold when you think about the, the way in which they treated him and, and the, the, the attempts that they made. But the first thing that we see is that uh, the, the chief priests are holding this, this trial at night, and it's actually at the chief priests uh, in, his, uh, in his house, in his, uh, in his courtyard, um, and, and it's in an interesting place. It's not where they would normally have held a trial. And so here they are having this trial, and they're gathering at night, <clears throat> And they're actually intending uh, uh, to, to try him and, and had all these plans with their false witnesses to get that stuff accomplished, uh, get their plan accomplished, and have him killed. Isn't it interesting that uh, Paul talks about the things that are done in the dark and, and how much we like the dark when we're trying to do things um, that are not honoring of the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 11, it says this, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I always find it challenging when I'm when I'm doing a text or when I'm wrestling with a text and I'm looking at everybody else's behavior. What I find myself doing is I begin to ask the question, okay, that's great. They're doing this. We can see it's pretty obvious, right, in the text that they're intentionally going after something evil and and uh and false and they're attempting to trap Jesus so that they can kill him. And yet when I read the text about doing things in the dark, you know, I'm not 
bearing false witness. I'm not trying to put Jesus to death, but when I read from Paul's perspective what happens in secret and the things that, that darkness, that those kind of things, you, you wonder, at least I do, I look at my own life and go, but is that me? Am I, are there things in my life that I don't want to be exposed to light that I would not want anybody else to know about? Uh, in my heart and in in that those kind of things i um <laughs> I was driving here to church uh not this morning uh but it was a couple of days ago, so I've had time to process it and uh I had somebody pull out of a parking uh of a of a driveway back on uh, um apple way over here uh close to a a particular um uh production process plant sales thing. And uh, I'm, I'm driving down the road, and I see the person start to pull out in front of me with about two, maybe 150 feet ahead of me, and they start to just pull out. And I thought, oh, he's, he's just going to be circling into the auto repair shop because that happens all the time. I mean, I've actually had a couple of people pull out of there and circle right into the auto repair shop, and I'm like, okay, there's no way he's pulling out the road because there's not enough time. This particular individual just drives right into the lane in front of me. And I'm, I had to stomp on the brakes, swerve into the center lane, which had oncoming traffic. People were going all over the place. And I'm positive what happened in my head I would not want to repeat in front of you. The worst part was not that moment. The worst part was when I honked on the horn, the, the, the sweet grandma lady in the passenger seat threw out a, a one-finger wave at me. And it was at that moment that I realized I'm really, because in, in my head, I, pro, I like to have a camera in my car so I can verify that I'm not nuts. These people really are trying to kill me. But I realized what came out of my mouth at that moment would not have honored God in any way. So when I read these texts and I'm looking at what Paul says about the darkness and don't have anything to do with the unfruitful works of darkness, I see it in my own life popping up. So I struggle as I go through even these texts just to stay focused on what the poor guys are doing in the text and all of their failures because mine keep popping up in front of me. So don't look at this process and go, man, those wicked chief priests who are, who are trying to do evil things, that, that's clear that that's what they're doing, and their consequences are going to be, they're, they're going to suffer the consequences. In fact, we'll see that later on in the text today, how Jesus directs them. But I do want to challenge you as we look at different texts as we go through this morning, allow the Word of God to penetrate our own hearts and to reveal in us what it is that, the, that God may be doing in each of our hearts. I want the light to expose the things that are darkness in me so that they will be light because that's who Christ is. But here, the, the chief priests are holding a trial at night, and it's, it's being held in secret, and they have their witnesses that they've uh, that they brought together, and, and they're false witnesses, right? And what do we see from the text about being false witnesses? I love this text, and I know there's many, many others, but I want you to see this as you, as you think about false witnesses and, and what these guys are doing, and the character and quality of the men that they had to have brought to this court to, to lie about Jesus and, and to do it in such a way. Look at what Proverbs says. Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, starting in verse 16. <clears throat> Anytime you see a text start with this, you just want to be really careful how you read the rest of it. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven 
that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Let me just take a second and let that sink in. Haughty eyes, the, the pride, the arrogance of man, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers. I don't know about you, but I can't help when I read those things to think about our culture even today, the, the disunity that has been sown in this country, um, the, the ways in which we've watched people uh, lie and, and intentionally make evil plans. And it, again, you, you can, your adults figure out where you land on all of those things. But look at what it says about how God views this. It's an abomination to him when that's the behavior of a people. And then again, I run into that question for myself. Am I involved in any of this? Is there any part of this that is me in how I behave in the church and how I behave as a person in my community? Isn't it amazing? The, the chief priests, they've actually lined up their false witnesses. They have their trial ready to go. They've got all of the pieces are coming into place. Everything is, is, is lining up how they planned it. And before we look at the results of that, we're just going to take a second and look at what the accusation is against Jesus. Um, did you see the, the primary accusation? Did you guys catch that when they were making their, their accusation? They, had, they said, in, he says in verse 56, For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. So that's one of the key accusations. Well, you know what's really fun about Scripture is you can go and check it. Because some of this stuff is actually recorded in what he said. So let's go and check and see what Jesus said in his, the testimony against Jesus. John chapter 2, starting in verse 18. John chapter 2, verse 18. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Which, by the way, is it's, he, he's cleansing the temple right before this. So he, he goes in and he drives out all the tax collectors and, and the, the money changers and the crooks that were in the temple. So he's cleansing the temple, and they demand a sign to know why, he, why does he have the authority to do such things. And Jesus answered them, verse 19, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, uh, then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus spoke. So what, was, what did Jesus say in John? Did he say he would destroy it? No, he didn't. He said, destroy this temple. He actually, isn't that amazing? He actually leaves it on them. 
And so when we get to this false testimony, you can see how completely inaccurate it is and what they're attempting to do. They're attempting to, to put it on Jesus that he's going to destroy. He said he was going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well, we do have a reference to building the temple in three days, and it's, I love the fact that it's actually another time when the, the chief priests or the Pharisees are demanding a sign, and Jesus says, I'll, I'll give you a sign. Let me show you what this looks like. Turn in your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 12. Some of you got quiet Bibles. That's amazing. I didn't know they made Bible page silencers. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they uh, repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus did give them the prophecy of rebuilding uh, the temple in three days uh, when he made his quote in John, but he specifically actually shares with them the prophecy made by Jonah and in the earth for three days and being raised again at the end of it. And it, isn't it amazing that in that particular quote, as he's, as he's con, uh, condemning the culture, saying a wicked and adulterous nation demands a sign when they're seeing all the miracles that Jesus is doing to reject him at that point, he's calling them wicked and adulterous and actually says that they will receive judgment, that the people of Nineveh, will stand in judgment of them because of Jonah's word, at the, at the word of God being delivered by Jonah, which we all know Jonah's story, right? He was a big fan of the Ninevites. Not at all. He hated them. He went, through, he went through the city of Nineveh and he gave a compelling repentance message, I'm sure. And then he went and sat on the side of the mountain and was angry at God because he didn't destroy him and Nineveh repented. What a great evangelist. They'll be sitting in judgment of the people of Jesus' day at that time, the leaders of Jesus' day, uh, the scribes and Pharisees who are demanding a sign because they rejected the Word of God when they had it present in front of Him. So, this is one of those things, as we saw from John's account, that the disciples they were hearing Jesus say all this stuff. They were watching all this stuff happen, and it made no sense to them, right? John actually records that after Jesus was raised from the dead, they looked back and they went, oh, that's what he was talking about. That's what, that's what happened. Jonah, oh. You guys ever feel like that? When you're, you, you're just watching life happen and, and you see God do something, and you're like, yeah. So I think we should be very careful how, how hard we are on the poor disciples, for one. Because they, 
did not see what Jesus was saying. And even in this testimony, even this false testimony uh, that the, the chief priests have, have put together, um, it probably, in their, in their devising of plans, it probably seemed very sound. And they had come to a conviction and, and, a, and a plan and a purpose that they probably felt at some level was important and, and was the, the only course of action they could take. The amazing part, and this is where in the text for me, it's one of the most, um, it's just been an amazing process this week to watch what God does. Uh, it, it, so as we, as we wrap up this morning, I, just, I want you to, to, to as you can, as, as best you can, apply this even to your own daily lives. But uh, uh, point three, the evil plans fail. I love the fact that in this particular text and in this moment, the false witnesses that they bring against Jesus can't get their story straight, right? We know from the, the, the Pharisees and, and the law of the Jews, they require at least two witnesses to corroborate a, a, a piece of evidence for someone to be uh, found guilty or put to death. It requires at least two they could not get two of their false witnesses to agree. Okay, listen, you're going to say this, and then you're going to say the same thing. Okay. And they get up, and the witnesses don't agree. Can you, can you imagine how this had to have looked? Now, listen, you two are going to say the same, just say what he says. And they can't get two witnesses to agree. Have you guys ever done that with your brother and sister trying to hold a story up for mom and dad? You know what's amazing about this, and I, and I love the, the fact how God does this. I honestly think they had their story straight, and God went in and went, bloop, not going to work. And we're going to look at a text in just a minute that actually will help us to see that that's what God does, and, and there's others. But uh, it's a very interesting phenomenon because uh, there's actually a, a Los Angeles detective, a retired detective now, that did a Bible study called Cold Case Christianity. And he actually went back as an unsaved person. He was a detective, cold case detective. He's like, I'm really good at this. I'm going to go and put this whole rumor to rest. I'm going to go and solve the case of Jesus' death. And we're going to shut down all these Christians from being able to rattle on about their mystic Savior. And so he took Los Angeles uh, uh, cold case uh, code, tr the trial codes and the, the, the stuff that they use to actually do a cold case and he went through and, and, and completed his study and came out a Christian, came out a believer, and he wrote a book, and he actually does this Bible study. We have it in our office. If you ever want to check it out, we have it available. But he walks through and shows you the logical reason that Jesus did live, he did die, and all of the things that we read in Scripture are, are true. And, and they, they actually would hold up in a court of law today. Today, they could be tried with, th with that particular process. And so this idea of getting the witnesses to line up and to tell their story correctly, um, you can actually see how God is using uh, those things to, to uh, actually hold his glory in its place and let, let the truth of who Jesus is shine in this moment and also in our lives today as the Los Angeles detective actually laid out and described in his book. It's an incredible thing. God can handle his plans, even when man tries to shut it all down. God still gets his plan across. <clears throat> Look at what it says in uh, Psalms 37. Psalm 37, verse 14. 
And don't, don't worry, I have a little congestion. It's not the COVID. I've had it for like seven years. So it's just normal for me. Psalm 37, verse 14. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and the needy to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart and their bow shall be broken. There's many other passages that talk about how God turns the plans of the wicked on themselves and how He thwarts uh, the evil that is intended for the righteous. Again, it does not mean that you and I will not suffer. You and I will not experience pain and and hurt. The the Jews suffered in in different times, um, even when they were doing the right stuff. But many, many, many times it was in disobedience to to the Lord that they were actually experiencing discipline from God. But when the enemy is making his plans, God still uses even his, the, the, the enemy's plans to accomplish his own will. And I love the fact that they could not come up with two witnesses to convict Jesus. That is a, it's a supernatural thing that happened at that moment. Because they're standing before a court that wants him convicted. They were, already, they were already breaking rules of their own legal system to have this, to hold this trial like they did and to do it the way they did. And so how could it be that they couldn't convict him of death? I love that. I think it speaks to the glory of God. Sorry, I pulled out one of the wrong stickers in my Bible and I got confused. This speaks clearly to the issue that wisdom, the wisdom of man is foolishness to God. And uh, if you turn to 1 Corinthians 3, uh, I think we should just, especially in today's culture, I really want to encourage you guys. Man, if, if, we see the, if we see the world spiraling out of control and pursuing wickedness, it should break our hearts. It should cause us to go to prayer. It should cause the church to wake up. It should cause the church to say, we need to do a better job of being people of light. We need to do a better job of reaching our neighbors. We need to do a better job of of being lights in our community, the the city on the hill, because obviously as a church, we're not not impacting and, and changing our culture well, and that should happen. That should cause us to think that way. But when we see the world conspiring, when we see the enemy winning or taking ground in our own lives, we should not be discouraged. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says this, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you, among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Our hope is not in our craftiness. Our hope is not in what, what the world's doing. It's not in, it, Jesus' hope was not in being found uh, uh, innocent of the false accusations that were coming at that moment. His hope was that he was God's. 
And in the will of the Father, in obedience to the will of the Father, we're actually going to see that Jesus is condemned to death for the truth, not for the false witness that they were trying to convict him of, not for the false accusations. You can see it in the text. Chief priest, he gets frustrated with everything that's going on, and he's uh, and he and he's he's just he's beside himself in verse uh, sixty. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, "Have you no answer to make? What is it these men testify against you?" But he remained silent and made no answer. And again, the high priest asked him, "Are you the Christ, the Son of the Beloved?" Finally, the real question, the question that Jesus has been telling them this whole time. Isn't it amazing? It's not like he hasn't actually said this before. Jesus has been acknowledging that, and in fact, it's part of what's driven him mad about him saying these things. We're going to look at a fairly long piece of Scripture here in just a minute in Acts chapter 2. But if you jump back to Psalm 110 first, uh, we're going to look at one of the quotes that P- Peter uses in his sermon, uh, that, that you know, one of the great evangelistic sermons of the New Testament. Um, and, uh, it, and I just want you to see where Peter goes in one of David's psalms. He's going to actually quote this as a prophetic psalm. We're going to read the whole thing because it's a whopping seven verses. Psalm 110 says this, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. In holy garments from the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. We find out from Peter in Acts, and we'll read it here in just a second, that that this is a prophecy of Christ coming. And here we have Jesus, who is the prophesied Christ, who has shared with them at different times that he is the promised Messiah, that he is the one. He is the the one that they've been waiting for. And even this week, as we go into Christmas, we're going to look at the story of the wise men who come and, and who bring to King Herod this wonderful news, the star that they have followed all the way to Jerusalem, knowing that the Messiah is born, that the king has arrived this promised king that they're watching for and anticipating, and they show up to celebrate with them. They bring gifts to celebrate and welcome this promised Messiah, this promised king. And it's on this that Jesus is condemned. When they ask him, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? He said, I am. And then he references, he references the fact that he will be uh, that, that they all actually see him uh, at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds. This picture of authority, and, and we see it promised in other texts, which we don't have time to look at this morning. And as I was, as I was wrestling with what that looks like and, and how do you sum that up, I thought, well, why not let Peter sum it up? Because 
Peter's the one that was right there and watched all this happen. Peter actually saw the trial. He watched this thing, actually, uh, the conspiracy come to full uh, completion on Jesus. And, and, and he actually uh, got to share that and testified to that to the Jews after Christ was raised from the dead. And, and this is what he says. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 14. This was right after Pentecost, and uh, there was people prophesying, and some of the witnesses said, man, are these guys drunk? And uh, in verse 14, Peter responds, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judah, men of Judea, sorry, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, good, shall be God, um, <clears throat> excuse me, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, fire, or blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hand of law, hands of lawless men. God raised him up loosening the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted and at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That's our Psalm 110. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? 
And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Here Peter, who watched all of these things happen, watched the the attempts of the enemy to, to deceptively and falsely accuse and kill Jesus, even acknowledges in his sermon that this was God's plan and it would not be stopped. He knew it beforehand. He'd planned it in the beginning. Even David was aware of it. Even David somehow in the prominence of God saw it happening and writes Psalm 110 to encourage us and to remind us that God is sovereign in all things and that even in this moment, as the enemy is doing everything in his power to wipe Jesus out, to take him off the earth, It was God's plan. And Jesus was convicted by the truth. Isn't it interesting that he was convicted by one person's testimony? His own? You know, that doesn't work even in our courts today. I cannot go in and say, hey, I'm innocent. And be like, oh, Shane says he's innocent. They're good. That doesn't happen. Do you see how incredibly wicked the trial of Jesus was? Intent on putting to death, and yet it was God's plan that, that, that was completed. It was God's purposes that were fulfilled. Even when the enemy did his best to set it all up and make it happen, none of the plans that they had worked, but what God had intended to happen was fulfilled. I love the passage this morning in 1 Corinthians. It was encouraging us to remember that, that we are gods, or we are Christ, and Christ is God's, and that uh, all things are ours. I just hope you got that. He said whether present, past or present or future, whether death or life, all of these things that, that you and I probably at times struggle to hang on to so desperately. And yet in Christ, we can completely trust and have hope that his wisdom and his plan will be fulfilled. Probably the great conviction for me this week was, are you going to trust me or not? Are you going to trust me or not? With whatever. What is the thing that you're the most ang- have the most angst about right now? Is it is it an election thing? Is it finance stuff? Is it medical stuff? Is it is it family stuff? The sovereign God of the universe somehow saw a trial to its completion for his will, even when there were wicked men involved trying to make it all wrong. And God still fulfilled his plan. And he seated his son at his right hand until he makes his enemies a footstool. You and I can trust the Lord even today. Even if the courts are against the plans of God. Even if the world in its wholeness turns against the word of God. 
as his children, we can still trust him. Because this isn't catching him off guard. I promise you guys, he's not sitting up in heaven going, man, I wonder who's going to be president of the United States. He's not doing that. He knows. So even when those people pull out in front of me and try and kill me, isn't it funny? You can trust him with bigger stuff, can't you? We can trust him. with like, There's things in our lives we can lay out and go, yeah, if that happens, I can trust him. If this happens, I can trust him. But somebody catches you off guard and pulls out in front of you or, or says something wrong, you, know, you guys are not like me in that? Oh, thank you. A couple of you are. Isn't that amazing how far south our attitude, our attitude can turn in just a moment? And I know in my own heart, the only way that I keep my eyes in the right place is by keeping them in the right place. And, and, and being engaged in the Word and, and being reminded of these truths of who God is. Part of the encouragement for me was actually reading through other texts as well, not just those, that, that went over and over how God doesn't, He's not affected by the plans of the evil. One of them even said that He laughs at the plans of the evil because He knows their end. I mean, I was reading through this going, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, what, what am I worried about? That was my week as I was wrestling through the trial of Jesus. Too bad Peter didn't get off the hook, or next week we get to look at him and, and watch God work through his life and, and the realities that are there. My hope is as you are approaching Christmas this year, because it's, it's what's coming next, that you would take a minute to put your head around the miraculous arrival of a prophesied coming king. That you would at least take some time this week to wrestle with how spectacular the truth of Christ being born and prophesied about hundreds of years before in many different generations through through the different texts that we see in the Old Testament. Wrap your minds around that and worship God this week that he is able and capable and, and has fulfilled his will in, in this moment, in this promised arrival of a king that we're going to watch how we treated him over the few weeks following. I hope you're encouraged this week. If you're not encouraged, call me. I'll give you some more scripture to read because it's good stuff. And uh, I figured that if Pete's sermon could, you know, save a thousand people, we might as well just use that because I got nothing to add. And uh, but isn't that amazing? Peter was Peter sat there and watched the whole trial, and then he stood up and he convicted, he confronted those people, and at one point he even says, "You killed him, you crucified him." And in the midst of that testimony, there was uh, three thousand souls were added to the kingdom. I believe that as we get our eyes on the Lord, as we as the church recognize that He's sovereign and as we recognize that He is going to fulfill His will regardless of what the enemy is doing, regardless of what the world's doing, as we follow Him and we worship Him and we pursue Him in His Word and in prayer, that there are still souls that need to know the Savior. Otherwise, He'd have taken us all home. There is still work to be done by the church or we'd be in glory. We wouldn't be here. 
So be encouraged this week. Worship God for who He is. Get your eyes on the Lord and remember that the enemy, as much as he may try, can't even pull together two false witnesses in a trial to the best of their ability if God has intended something else to happen. And yet Jesus was still convicted of death. Isn't that crazy? They couldn't do it. But the truth is what put him on the cross. Man, Father, thank you. Thank you that you are faithful. Thank you that you are kind and merciful and long-suffering with us. Thank you that you that your grace is sufficient for my weaknesses and my failures. Lord, I pray this morning as we consider what how, how your sovereign hand in the trial of your son, the, the wicked and evil and, and false trial of your son, I just pray as we see that reality, as we wrestle with that, that it would, it would encourage your people this week. Not because of anything that we've figured out, but Lord, because of who you are. Because you are sovereign, because you spoke these things into place before they happened. Because our Lord Jesus laid down his will and obeyed yours. And as we will see in the text to follow, will give his life willingly to pay the price of my sin, to pay for the wrath of God that is due on my heart and on my sin and my life, and to cover all of those things so that I can be an adopted son, so we can be adopted children of the King. God, I thank you for that. Thank you for who you are, and we want to worship you and praise you this morning because you are a good Father and we can trust you with all things. Won't you join us for our final song, Glorious Day. Suffering anguish, despised and rejected, 
that healed nations stretched out on a tree he took the nails for me living he loved me dying he saved me buried he carried my sins far away rising he justified freely forever one day he's coming oh glorious day oh glorious day one day the grave could conceal him no longer one day the stone rolled away from the door then he arose over death he had conquered now is ascended my lord evermore death could not hold him the grave could not keep him from rising again living he loved me dying he saved me buried he carried my sins far away rising he justified freely forever one day he's coming oh glorious day oh glorious day One day the trumpet will sound for his coming. One day the skies with his glory will shine. Wonderful day, my beloved one bringing. My Savior Jesus is mine. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day, glorious day. dying on the cross for our sins and for so doing so, showing your love for us by giving up your life. You gave it up. As much as it was taken by wickedness and darkness, you did give it up and you chose it because love pushed you forward. We love you and we thank you, Jesus, and we ask for your blessing on every family here. Look forward to seeing them Christmas Eve service and bless their Christmas time with family and keep safe. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Merry Christmas.